0: The armor of God, or at least perhaps the armor of God. We'll see how, we'll see how we go. Uh, someone once mentioned that it's very frustrating to get to the top of the ladder only to discover that it's leaning against the wrong wall. And uh, incredibly so, it took you most of your adult life to get to the top of that ladder. And then you finally get there and, and, and kind of look around and realize I've got to the top, but I'm not sure that this is where I wanted to end up in. Uh, So, you want to be careful in relation to what you are pursuing in life. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. I wonder what you suppose the race to be that is marked out for you. When you think about the race that you're running, what do you suppose that to be? What do you suppose that to look like? Some people, not all, but some people have a sense that their vocation or their work is tied to that which they feel like God's called them into to do with their lives, and that's nice if that's the case. It's not the case for everybody, but some people feel that. Uh, I have a sense of being called to be a pastor, Um, but to be called into your work won't necessarily be everybody's experience. Some people do the work because they enjoy it or they like it or it was easy or that was what they studied it and can't be bothered restudying to do something else. So it's not necessarily tied to vocation or work or things like that. Uh, and it need not be because I think that there's a, a certain kind of race that we're called to run that trumps everything else. And it's a call um, that you have to put first every time. The, the, that is to become a certain kind of person. I think that's ultimately that the, the race that is marked out before us, is to become a certain kind of person, irrespective of Whatever vocation you have your whole life, or the multiple vocations, uh, or whether you see parenting as a vocation, or whether you see raising money as a vocation, or whether you see whatever it might be as a vocation, we're still primarily called within all of that. And the thing that trumps all of that is to become a certain kind of person. Um, if I oh, up on the next slide, I think, um, we've got a there you go. We've got a couple of folks there. got Eugene Peterson there, and then we've got Statler and Waldorf. If you don't know Statler and uh, Wolof, they're from the Muppets, and they're just two grumpy old men that sit in the balcony and complain about everything and, uh, and, and just moan and groan. I would suggest that the call on your life is not necessarily to become an old white man with a bed. Um, I might. I've already got the white bed. I just need everything else. But um, the call is to become a beautiful human being by the end of your life. Not to become a grumpy, old, angry, bitter human being by the end of your life. As much as that would be fun, and uh, you know, you know, I've imagined being like 85 with a rot wheeler in the front, you know, the front of the car, and swearing at drivers at the lights just to see what their reaction is. But I don't really think that's what God's called me to do. I, I think that's that's um, that's that moment where the Holy Spirit says, "No, Joseph, that's not that's not what you're called to be. We're called to become holy, whole, and wholesome," uh, you could say, or someone that loves well. Uh, called to be reconciled reconcilers. That, that's a term you could use. Uh, we're being saved and we, we, we're saved and we're being saved and we will be saved. That, that's a part of the call upon our lives. We're working out our salvation. I think we're called to be a non-anxious presence in the world, uh, which isn't a comment on anxiety per se, but a comment on we, we've learned to be still in life, even in the midst of the anxiety and the pressures of, of life and the world. I think we're called to be a creative force of blessing. Whatever that might be, like for different people, that'll look different to, to bring creative blessing to, to people around you, the world around you. I think we're called to be a signpost and a testimony and a witness to the reality of God. Uh, Greek word for witness is martyr, so there you go, called to be a martyr as well. Uh, we're called to be an image-bearing icon. We're called to be someone of beauty and truth and goodness. I think these are, these are all the kinds of things that I think sum up the kind of person that we're called to become in life. I think those sum up what it is to be well done, good and faithful servant, is to grow to be that kind of person. Because to become that kind of person necessitates an overflow that that blesses the world around you and speaks to the world around you. And I think when you're clear on the race you're running, you'll be clear on the strategy that you need to adopt. In 2008, I decided to run a marathon uh, I was fit, and I played touch rugby, and indoor cricket, and the gym, and all of those kinds of things. So I guess the question I was asking myself was like, how hard can it be to 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 run a run a marathon? Uh, that was what I was trying to figure out. I mean, most significantly, I'd spent a good part of the early 80s learning how to run, and uh, it's similar to walking. It's not it's not really that complicated. It's like walking, but every now and then you're just in the air, and it's it's not. And I even learned how to do it backwards, kind of thing. So I was like, I, surely it can't be that hard to run a marathon. Um, it's walking, but faster. So I, I'm a genius, and I signed up for the Rotorua Marathon. What I thought I'd signed up to was eight five-kilometer runs and then a little two-kilometer run at the end just to finish it off. And I'd run five kilometers before heaps of times. So how hard would it be to run eight lots of five kilometers and then a little two-kilometer one uh, just to finish it off at the end? Um, well, I couldn't have been more wrong. It turns out it's way harder than what you, uh, what you think. Uh, I'd never run more than five kilometres. Um, so I started training, and I ran five kilometres on the Monday, and then on the Tuesday I ran six, and then on the Wednesday I ran seven, and then on the Thursday I ran eight, and then on the Friday I ran nine, and then on the Saturday I ran ten. I was making good progress. It took me four weeks to get to 21Ks. I was running half marathons after just four weeks of training, and I was starting to feel confident. I mean, it, Robbie Williams in 99 put out the the... Album the ego has landed, but mine was soaring. And um, having gone from five to 21 in four weeks, I started thinking about maybe a top 10 finish. Maybe I could, uh, maybe I could really dominate this thing. We'll we'll see how we go. Um, like I said, though, I'd never really been a runner per se, and to go to five from five k's to 21 k's in four weeks is not recommended, it turns out, because there's all sorts of little balancing muscles that you need when you run. And then there's this thing called the iliotibial band, or the IT band, and it runs from your hip down there. And uh, I didn't have all of the right little muscles to balance it out and hold that steady. So what happened after four weeks of running is that it starts to scrape across your, um, the bone in your knee, just kind of rubs back and forth. It's kind of like cogs grinding together without any uh, oil. And so that, that was um, very painful. Um, so I had to give up training, and so I didn't train for six weeks, and then the marathon day came. So we just, um, we we'll, we'll just, we we'll just do it. I wasn't, but I was realistic. Now we wouldn't get a top ten finish. We, we'd, um, we'd, 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 rein it in a little bit. Um, so um, off we went. Uh, the first half was no trouble whatsoever, but as it turns out marathons don't start to the 21K ride. You think the start line's the start line, but it's not. You just actually have to run 21Ks to then get to the, the start line, which is the 21K line. And uh, the difference between 21 and 42 is monumental. It's, it's just they're not even in the same genre. Um, it wasn't pretty. I just stop every four or five kilometers for painkillers. So that's me taking painkillers. And, and when you stop for the painkillers, when you start again, the grinding in your knees just to get going I mean, look at mum passing me, which is <laughs> frustrating. And I, if I'm honest, I remember that hill as being a lot steeper. Uh, I, it, was more, it was like, I thought there were chains, and you had to hold on to them as you went up the hill. It felt like a cross-country country course, uh, but it, w- it was very difficult. These are some of the people that passed me um, at the 30-kilometer mark. <laughs> Sybil's 105. And the people in the crowds are just going, go U- uh, USA, USA. And I, like honestly, I now trigger. If I hear people yelling USA, I, I, I trigger. Uh, Glennis in the middle, there was just a training run for a, for a triathlon she was doing. Uh, when that photo originally came out, I was like, uh, why don't you sit this one out, Glennis? Um, but she passed me anyway. I had, a, I had an elderly man who... Um, had I, I, He wasn't a hunchback, but he was very stooped. And um, he just looked down like this, and he ran like this, and he went past me, and he said, Keep going, young man. Keep going. <laughs> and I didn't find it encouraging. <laughs> I, I wanted to lay hands on him in a, in a more, like, less prayerful kind of way. The old man, like, I'm sure he was, he was Statler or Wardoff, surely. Or well, at least that's how I felt it was. But I couldn't catch up to him to hit him, so... Truth be told, those three didn't pass me. Um, they, I was never in front of them, so they just, away they went. <laughs> in the end, I, I started doing what all good Christians do, and, um, you know, that started humming to myself, that famous chorus from 1982, Eye of the Tiger. And, you know, if I could just, Dang, dun, 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 if I could just keep that, that would just get me another K, another K, but it was not very helpful. So then, having grown up Pentecostal, and still am with Pentecostal, I started praying in tongues, because... Um, Surely, if all else fails, just start praying in tongues, and that would make a difference, but um, to no, no avail. Uh, the grinding in the knees continued, uh, stiffness in the calf muscles, and, and, and it, it felt like my heart was under demonic attack, but maybe it was just a heart attack. I'm not, I'm not sure. Couldn't figure that out. So then what I did, I started praying that God, in his good mercy, would send a car to hit me. <laughs> not, a bad, not, not a bad one, I just wanted it to clip me because then I could, I could bow out gracefully. It's like, oh, the car just hit me, mate. Like, I, there's no way I, could, I couldn't finish. Like, the, the, so I was praying, God, Lord, just send a, send a car to, to hit me, please. But you know, again, my prayers were unanswered. Heavens were silent. I was like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> and I vowed never to sign up to run a marathon um, again after that. Turns out that a marathon isn't just eight five-kilometre runs and then a two-kilometre run at the end. It's a whole different race with a whole different kind of pain, and you have to be prepared properly. Uh, here are two runners, both at the 30k mark in a marathon. Uh, one is obviously me, ill-prepared. I think I've just sworn at that car for not crashing into me. LAUGHTER um, and then the other one is Lisa, who um, had a coach and did training and had the right nutrition. It's like, it's just, yeah, hey, who loves running 30Ks? It's like, it's quite sickening, really. And she went on to do more marathons. She, she, she beat me by over an hour and 15, I think, her time. So I'm glad we didn't run in the same marathon because she beat me by a long way. And then she did another marathon and then another marathon and the 50Ks and the 50Ks. It was, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's. Not all ideal. She's singing "Old Happy, Old Happy Day." Well, I've turned into Waldorf and Statler, grumpy old man. So the question is, what race am I running? And uh, up on the next one, what race am I running? Well, you're running a marathon. Well, what will make it hard? 42 kilometres of fatigue will make it hard. I, well, I was halfway around Lake Rotorua, and I was like, they've they've measured it wrong. <laughs> I, no, I was, I was like, sweetie, they have measured it wrong they hadn't. Uh, how do I overcome the obstacles? Exercise, coaching, nutrition. What do I need to get there that will assist? Anti-blister socks would be helpful. Gurney glue would be helpful. Strava, because um, if you didn't Strava it, you probably didn't run it. Um, and and um, pace, just starting out a bit slower, because it's a long way. So what race are we in? We're in the race of becoming. What will make it hard? Principalities and powers. Fiery darts to schemes of the devil. That We've been talking about these over the last couple of weeks. Um, if you weren't here over the last couple of weeks, what you're thinking might not be what I've been talking about, but I can't do much about that. Uh, how do I overcome the obstacles? Well, the reality is Christ has already overcome the obstacles. Uh, Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. At the cross, we see the principalities and the powers of the day. Personified in the Roman Empire and the religious authority. They they throw everything they have at Jesus, which ultimately is the the sword and the spear and the cross and death and murder, torture, and they've won. But then it turns out that Christ rises from the dead and exposes the principalities and powers as fraudulent, not being all-powerful, not being the king of kings, the ruler of the universe, but actually being defeated by the cross. So what gear do I need? Well, we need the armor of God the practices of the church. This is where things have been heading in Ephesians. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We've talked about the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We talked about fiery darts that burn within. We talked about that last Sunday. Um, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So remember, Paul's writing from a Roman jail. Uh, guards wandering up and down the corridor outside his cell in the full military regalia of the, of the Roman Empire. Uh, but he says, not us. We're not, we're not dressed up in those weapons. We're not dressed up with a breastplate. Not, not, there's no armor. There's no, there's no shield. There's no sword in the same vein of what these Roman military folk are, are dressed up. We're dressed up in truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation. Carrying God's Word, that's that's what we're dressed up in. Today, we might say, uh, we might look at the exemplar of power and confidence. Uh, We might look at the exemplar of that, of principalities and powers these days, as being um, individualism, or or education and knowledge, or having a forceful personality, or financial stress, or constant progress in your life. You're, You're upwardly mobile and continuing on a fantastic trajectory. Uh, you're a go-getter. You're a ladder climber. We might we might talk about somebody we meet or encounter that's dressed up with that kind of stuff, and they appear to be the strong and the forceful and, and the, the advantage that are going to win in the game of life. And we go, no, 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 we're not, we're not. Those are the, those we might be experiencing those kind of things. We might know some of those, things, but that's not that's not what we're dressed up in. That's not we carry, That's not what we carry into the world to be the people that God's called us to be. Not us, we're connoisseurs of truth, you might say. Um, we're those that are to have a master's degree in righteous living. That's not to say anything bad about education. You know I'm educated. It's like, no, we're, but our, our master's degree is in righteous living. Uh, our bank account is the treasure of a field, the kingdom of God, that you'd sell everything to possess. Uh, our, our, our shield is the promise of salvation, steadfast faith rather than upward mobility. What are we putting our trust in? What are we putting our trust in? We're putting our trust in steadfast faith, the rule and reign of God in our lives. The armor of God is the subversive means by which we name and disarm the principalities and powers that seek to steal, kill, and destroy. They've already been defeated. They've already been exposed as fraudulent, but they need to be finished off in our lives. And so we engage in the practices of the church, the corporate ones, and individually is how we kind of Engage and, and uh, put the armor of God to use, so to speak. So up on the, the next slide. So we're to name the powers. We're to note the schemes and fiery darts, and then we're to disarm via the armor of God. So we, we spent the first Sunday talking about naming the powers. Last week we talked about schemes of the devil and fiery darts, and now we're to disarm. You know it's a principality and power if it has a salvation promise of some sort. That's how you know it's a principality of power. If it's got a salvation promise of some sort, if three people have brought into that, probably not a uh, principality of power. But if, as humanity, we've brought into this idea that becomes an ideology, becomes an idol, there's some sort of salvation promise. This is going to be the thing that's going to save us. This is going to be the thing that's going to make all the difference in my life. Um, well, that, that, that it's starting to take on a life of its own as a principality and power. Uh, it's calling for intellectual assent. It's calling for you to, to agree with the narrative, to agree with the salvation story, to agree with the promise in some way, shape, or form. And they'll call for faithful allegiance. It will call for you to embody some sort of fidelity to Whatever that is, that's making that promise. Whatever it is, that's that's offering uh, all of that you've been looking for in life. Uh, and then, as you are journey down that path, there'll be hope offered, and it's calling you. To have existential? Just trust. Just trust. Just trust. If you get your bank account to that certain certain amount, once you get to that amount, whatever that amount is, you'll be able to relax. You'll be able to, You'll be confident in life. You won't need to worry about anything. You'll you'll have, you'll have built up. Everything you need, so just relax, just stay true to the journey, stay true to the journey. So there's this promise, and there's this fidelity that we're called to, and then there's this hope that we hold on to as we kind of journey down that path. It's all mixed up together, but we kind of pull it out to, to kind of make sense of it. And You know, we're offered truth and salvation. Of God, we're offered righteousness and peace as our embodiment. We're offered uh, faith in the Word of God to be that which we put our trust in as we kind of navigate these various principalities and powers. We're to be conscious of the world that we live in, figuring out, hey, what are the salvation promises that I'm navigating at the moment? Using the armor of God is really about being aware. Being conscious of what's going on in the world. What's being promised? What am I buying into in the moment? No, no, I'm not going I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to trust in God. This is the story that I'm going to remember. Consciousness rather than going through the motions. Exodus 20, verse 1 to 3. This is the first commandment. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I think it's ingrained in us so much to think of just one God. That when we read about the ancient gods and the many gods of ancient people and in the scripture and different things like that in the greco-roman world wherever it might be we look at that and go oh they're so different to us with their many gods because we're so kind of we just caught up with the idea of one god rightly so but we we suppose that the many gods is an ancient thing and not a modern thing we're inclined to think that um you know that was you know different people in older times but I'm not so convinced that modern people don't have their many gods as well. We Go to the temple on Sunday, even though we're the temple. We go to the temple we work in during the week. Uh, we go to the temple that is our financial portfolio. We go to the temple that is the mall where we can buy gadgets that'll make us happy. We go to the temple that is the golf course or the gym or the sports ground or the sports channel or the fishing spot, whatever it might be. We go to the temple that is our house, that we've renovated and done and looked after and made to be this, that, and the other thing. We go to the temple that is our, the education of our kids, ensuring that they, they get the education that they need to be successful in, in life. And It's another little temple that we make a few sacrifices to to make sure it goes all right. Go to a temple that is me and exactly the right amount of me time for me that I need to be me and have my me time, which is most of the time I like me time that little temple of individualism, temple that is social justice or fighting for others or the temple that is self-improvement. Any one of those things can be these temples that we worship at that promise salvation that we'll make some sacrifices to and we like to hedge our bets and have it all rounded off nicely. Gifts of God's good crea- creation, all, all important parts of life, but elevated to a place where they kind of rule and reign in our, in our life. We can end up serving many gods at once. Probably, though, we'll each have our favorites. Oh, my favorite's just me time. That's my favorite one. Oh, my favorite's my portfolio. I love just kind of hanging out with that each night. And Well, not at the moment in the global. <laughs> not at the moment. Now I've got some other favorites. You know, Whiskey, that's a helpful one in a global crisis. You know, we'll have our favorites, but we'll make a few little sacrifices. And, then, and it can be that as Christians, we're, oh, our favorite God is the one true God. And then we've got these other three that we like to like, keep happy as well and make some sacrifices to. And only you can be the one that discerns when it has got to that stage and when it's not that. It's, th- it's this flux. It's this journey. Good things that can kind of take over our lives and rule and reign. You go, oh no, I've got to get that back into it. Got to get that back down to its right place. And you do that and it's all good. And then three years later, you notice, oh, that's kind of crept back up and is kind of, you're the only one that can kind of discern that. But we put on the armor of God. How? By the practices of the church. With as much intentionality as we can muster in the moment. We, we sing worship songs. We sang today. Can you chuck up the I Will Build My Life one, Ben? We, we, these are these, these songs we sing. Um, next one. Uh, next one. Is this the I Will Build My Life song? Keep going. Oh. I'll build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I'll put my trust in you. This is this, we come in and we sing this song, and it's the way by which we engage in the armor of God to retell a story, to reimagine what we're doing with our lives. Now, you can just go through the motions of doing that and not really have noticed it. Or you can do it with intentionality and you're allowing it to just wash over you. You're allowing it to refocus you. We do these set prayers. We take, I think we pray today that we'd be surprised by the joy and wonder of God. See, so you can you can really pray that prayer and pay attention to it and go, man, this week, Lord, I want to be open to your joy and wonder kind of showing up in my life in unexpected ways. Or you can just read the prayer out so then the kids can go to kids' church and we carry on. You can sit patiently during the sermon as I do my thing and then go on with your day. Or you can. You can listen, God, what's the one or two things that maybe I need to take away today? And this is how we kind of, this is how we use the armor of God to, to reframe the story. Where there's these salvation promises over here, we come back to the salvation promises of God. We gather at the Lord's table where we take this subversive little piece of nothingness to remind ourselves that the sacrifice is already being made. It's all part of naming the powers, resisting the powers, fellowship with people that encourage you and chat with you. Uh, I, I, one of the ladies in church that's in business, she, she tells me often, she goes away to these business conferences. And by the end of the week at the business conference, worrying about do I own enough houses and what car do I drive and how much cash flow do we have and how much is in the reserve account kind of thing. And by the end of a Sunday, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah re-reminded that that's not the story and the narrative that is the ultimate framing story of a life. Even though those things are important in a business world and you're figuring all this out, but it's not, no, no, that's not the framing story. One Sunday, just to, just to allow the, the songs we sing, the prayers that we pray, the, the gathering at the table, the fellowship with one another to re-imagine. I've been looking at the various marketing and advertising that you see around Toweringer at the moment, um, and the promises that uh, it's offering. And there's a lot aimed at retirees um, which is interesting. Well, that's at least what I've noticed. Um, and uh, I've got an ad for you to watch here. So here's, a, here's an ad for you to watch, I think. Medium rare for me, Mr. B. Popping right up. Can't wait. Sweet ass. I'll see you later. Oh, hey, Maxie. Still on for tonight's game? Yeah. bring it on. Great. Great for Absolutely stunning. Happy birthday, Jerry. Oh, cheers, Max. Yeah, not a day over three. <laughs> oh, you still got it, Gerry? Avida lives the age you feel. Maybe just play it one more time, Ben, because it's so quick. <laughs> Be being aware for me, Mr. B. Coming right up. Can't wait. So got it That's a clever ad. It's a, it's an awesome ad. And it's full of false lies and promises and all sorts of things. But nevertheless, it's very it's very clever. It's Hebe. Hebe's the goddess of eternal youth, able to offer mortals restoration to their youth. The Elixir of Life, The Philosopher's Stone, Shrangular, The Pool of Nectar. There's all these, there's all these um, ancient stories and narratives that talk about uh, eternal youthfulness and where you'll find that and all that kind of thing. It's just our modern-day version of it, and you find it at our Vida retirement homes. Cause, <laughs> cause, because if, you, if you're staying at, living at one of those retirement homes, guess what you've got? You've still got it, yeah. whatever it is, but you've still got it. Because um, most people that get older, they'll lose it, because you don't want to get older, because old is, old is bad. Old is negative. You don't, don't want to get old. But if you go there, you've still got it, whatever it is. Uh, what's it saying? It's saying all sorts of things. Uh, you'll stay hip and 30 if you... Um, it, what, what it's saying is the goal is to stay hip and 30. To be hip and 30 is the ultimate in life. And the fact that we grow on from being hip and 30 is a real bummer. And, and actually, to be hip and 30... That's about as good as it gets. I don't know if there's anyone here that's 30. But um, you're, Ben, you're living your best life today, Ben. It's, um, it goes. But if you plan well, you could end up at Arvida. So, so you need to maybe not be a pastor and do something else so that you can work up. That's the promise. Hip and 30 is the best. So there's actually a message to the 30-year-olds. You need to knuckle down, work hard, get this money, sell your retirement out so that you can... Retire at a Vida. Message that um, the 30s are your best years, and other than that, aging is negative. Uh, The message is that what you were doing in your 30s, you should be doing that in your 80s, because why would you want to do anything else? All the best stuff you do in your life is your 30s stuff. Uh, That the main goal in life is to recapture youth, not to grow wiser and kinder in all seasons. Uh, That death is the enemy. Hold on to 30s as long as you can. Um, and make sure if you're in your 30s, you're setting yourself up. Live the age you feel. Uh, it's illusion. It's a distortion. Uh, none, of it, none, of the, none of the ad told the realities of our humanness and growing out, the frailty of our bodies, the way that things give out on us and don't work like they used to do and change and call us into different seasons of maturing and growing and trusting to become different kinds of people in different kinds of seasons. Tell you what, if you're 80 and you're just the same as a 30-year-old, I reckon you've probably failed to grow up properly kind of thing. You don't want to bump into 80-year-olds that sound like 30-year-olds. There's wisdom and maturity that you grow into in your older years. The greatest encouragements to me in my life are people that are all 65 and over. They just speak wisdom and speak encouragement and speak strength and they come around you. It's like, I don't, you know, you, you, there's something that comes from an elderly person, a wise person having grown into that. And yet this is, this is the kind of thing that becomes a principality in power. And we don't name it because uh, we're not like the ancient people that had like God, goddesses of youth, you know, we don't, you, can look, you know. You can look up all the ancient gods and discover a goddess of youth in some sort of shape or form normally a young lady with no top on, so there you go, it's because it's, it's all tied together, sexuality and youthfulness and vigor and all of these kinds of things. It's a lie. It's not, it's not true, but enough people buy into that. It becomes a principality and power. We think that's the framing story. We sing another song that's, um, and on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still I'll sing your praise unending. It's this, that's a different, so we sing these songs. Our worship songs are almost like the counter-advertisements to those that the principalities and powers offer that call us into it, but just to reframe your life. No, 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 no. One day you will be older, but still you set, your, you set your eyes on Jesus. There's something for you to do in the different ages and stages of life. Salvation from aging just by into our vida. You'll know the good life. It will be like you never even aged. false salvation, though. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser is a Catholic writer, spiritual director I follow on Facebook, an elderly man. He happened to write this yesterday, post this yesterday. He said, as I get older and approach the end of my life, I worry less and less about hell and worry more and more about the bitterness, anger, ingratitude, and non-forgiveness that still remains in me. I worry less about mortal sin and about whether I am being gracious, respectful, forgiving towards others. He doesn't work for a veto He isn't trying to recapture his 30s. He's in a race to become all that Christ has called him to be. So the armor of God is really intentionality in our Christian practice to, to transform our thinking, the salvation narratives that we're buying into, to realign our, our fidelity, to be living in faithfulness to the gospel. And the armor of God is what calls us to trust and hope and faith, to weigh up like... What will be the good life when I'm 80? Do do I believe it will be our vida? Or do I believe it will be having grown to become a holy, whole and whole person? Which of those things is going to set me up for the good life as an 80-year-old? I tell you, the the answer is the having grown to become a whole and whole and wholesome person, you'll be a joy and a delight and a blessing to those around you. principalities and powers have already been defeated we just need to disarm them and we do that by living in allegiance to Christ and resisting the temptation of the false narratives that are offered the race of becoming isn't eight five kilometer runs though and then a two kilometer one just to finish it really the Avita ad kind of says that oh the 80s is just another five kilometer run that you've done many times before it's not it's not the case the race of becoming is a long obedience in the same direction. The ongoing discernment of the principalities and powers that are selling you false promises, false salvation narratives. Discerning those things. The Bible says you can't serve two masters, though. You'll end up hating one and loving the other, despising one and holding to the other. First commandment, have no other gods before me. Just this one God. Or well, the armor of God and The art of growing old, the race of becoming, is to slowly detangle ourselves from the many gods that offer all sorts of promises. Running with bitterness, angry at the car that didn't crash into you so you could bow out of the race gracefully, or growing to be somebody beautiful. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to gather at the table of the Lord to celebrate communion this morning.